0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great moments are
1: born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. Forget about
2: the crowd. It's the size of the school. Their fancy uniforms. And remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential, to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know when we add up
0: all those inches,
2: that, that, that's going to make the f***ing difference between winning
0: and losing. It's Down to the Wire with, with, with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Oh, Petey! Oh, Petey! On, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And
3: we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Down to the Wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday From 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. As you know, the number to call is 631-260-1601 is the phone call to call the show. Remember, you can reach us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't already know, well, I'm going to give you some more information This is what you do if you want to get in touch with us and watch our shows live, listen to our shows live, look at our stories, check out what we're doing all over the country. This is how you do it. You go onto your iOS if you have an Apple, you put in search WWSRN and download the app, or go to Android and put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what's going on, my friends?
4: Uh, had a good day. Good day for the most part. Nice out. I didn't get to go outside, unfortunately, because you got here. You got to my house pretty early. I was going to hang out outside for a little while, but nice day out. I know you're probably
3: hot, but (laughs) it is an absolute sauna outside. Yeah, it is so hot. So (laughs) disgusting outside. I would love to go swimming right now if I wasn't doing a radio show, but I'm here for the fans. I want the fans to Kind of interact with us. I want to give a shout out to the Big Guy Sports Show. Great show, boys. Uh, Your second show on our network. It it was a great, great show. Great guests, uh, great analysts. Uh, I mean, they give you the analytic expectations of what we expect for our radio show. So I, I want to give a shout out to Jim and his crew and the Big Guy Sports Show. Uh, but we have a great show lined up for you guys. At six thirty, we'll be talking to uh, Angels TV broadcaster Jose Moto, and and after that, at seven fifteen, we'll be talking to Kansas City, Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit Braden Wood who will be joining us as well. So it's going to be a fun show, so definitely stay tuned. Jeff, you are a pain in my rear end <laughs> with the Yankees cheating, and you have fans. Yes, I have fans, Jeff. I don't know about you. You do have fans, but pain in the butt fans, and that's why they love you, Jeff, and that's why I love you, even though you give me a headache every single time, not only when you call the show, but you interact us or interact with us on social media. But Nevertheless, we have a great show lined up for you, and we're looking forward to uh, uh, Jose Moto, who's going to be joining us in very in about twenty minutes. But I want to get into this MLB situation, and it's funny because yesterday we were talking about how the players did, you know, disapproved, uh, didn't approve on the sixty-game offer by the MLB. And my argument is is that that the MLB is not trying to push away the season. I think the MLB is trying to work in what the owners want to do and what the players want to do. The players want practically all their money in a 76, 80 game season and the player and the owners want to give the players no more than 30% of whatever revenue is coming in throughout the rest of the season.
4: Yeah. It seemed like for the most part, they, the salary dispute was the biggest thing and, and, now it came out that it's probably going to be close to 30 to 40%, some range like that for the what the players are going to get for the 60 games. And honestly, I'm surprised the players would have approved of that because it seems like they've been wanting just above average salaries the entire time, and I'm surprised they were able to do that. It seemed like they want they didn't necessarily want to play more, but they want to get the good money with how many games they want to play in order to accept the offer. So I'm surprised they went through with this.
3: Well, again, I, I look at the players and I look at the MLB and trying to negotiate a deal. I actually talked to uh, Charlie Slows today, the voice of the Washington Nationals, and I I asked him, is there going to be an MLB season? And he absolutely believes there's, there's going to be an MLB season. a matter of fact, he's heading to Washington in about a week and a half, so... More unlikely this is going to happen. The question is, what are the deal? What are the deals that are going to be put onto the table for not only for the players but the owners, where both sides are going to like the deal? Um, now, I know a lot of people say that the MLB were acting like a bunch of babies, and and some of the players. And we've heard all different players. We've heard Mike Trout. We've heard. Um, a uh, Harper we've heard Aaron Judge we've heard all these different mookie bets they all had their own thoughts of where the league is moving towards you know the cba is the new cba is going to be argued about in the next 2 years and and i've been hearing you know charlie actually told me that they're going to implement the dh uh to the national league possibly with this deal uh, so rush. that's what i've been hearing so to me when you look at the MLB and you look at the expectations of it coming back, you, you talk about the NBA, you talk about the NHL, they're coming back sometime mid-July, at the end of July, you, and you talk about the NFL, everything that we've heard with the NFL is they are coming back, OTAs will be starting sometime in July, and players will be reporting to the facilities. Yeah, it seems like
4: what the MLB is going to do is they want to have a plan where they get everybody into spring training facilities July 1st around, and then their projected start date, if they do go through with this, uh, the 60 games, would be July 24th, from what I heard.
3: I, I am reading um, David Schofi- Schoenfield. Uh He actually is an ESPN senior writer that wrote this. It appears that there is going to be a baseball season after all. One of the 60 games following a month of an ugly public negotiation uh, between the players and the owners over how to navigate through the money-shortening season. In the words of the Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer, COVID-19 already presented a loss, loss, loss situation, and we somehow found a way to make it worse. Anyways, we can at least briefly turn our attention once again to the upcoming season and pretend we're back in, uh, back in the middle of March talking about baseball and baseball players and the wonder and joy of the best sport on the planet a season of 60 games fine here 60 storylines to watch once those first pitching pitches are thrown. They're going to... If you read this article, they talk about Garrett Cole being in a Yankee uniform. They talk about Mookie Betts being in a Dodger uniform. So there's so much to look forward to When it comes to the baseball season, which every baseball fan, any baseball fans that are out there, and I'm not talking about Jeff from Tampa, who's a Boston Red Sox fan. I'm not talking about Snug the Cat, who's a Boston Red Sox fan. I'm talking about the league as a whole. When you look at what what you expect, the expectations, what's so interesting about going into this season now is – Some of these teams that you wouldn't expect to be in the hunt to make the playoffs, Mm -hmm. you're talking about the Chicago White Sox, teams that are up and coming, they might absolutely be in the running to make the playoffs this year. Right, teams that
4: notoriously start strong all the time, too. We see it a lot from... Different teams. We've seen it a lot from the Mariners over the years. Obviously, they're not going to be good this year, but teams like the Rockies, they always seem to be good in the first half of the season. The Mets a couple years ago had that great April, and then all of a sudden they fell apart. So that's going to be interesting. You're definitely going to see some random fluky teams as a result of all this because of a smaller sample size. And you're going to see a lot of strange individual seasons too. You might have a 400 hitter in a 60-game sample, which obviously it will be an asterisk over it because it's 60 games. But you're going to see a lot of strange individual years too where you'll have 500 on base percentages and 400 batting averages. And for
3: pitchers, you might even see double-digit ERAs if you pitch poorly. And that's (laughs) what I can't wait for. It's the pitching. The pitching is going to drive these teams to be successful moving forward. And, and, And my argument with the major leagues and some of these teams You talk about the Yankees, the powerhouse Yankees, because you're going to have James Paxton. You're going to have a healthy um, Garrett Cole. This is going to be one of the most dominant pitching staffs going into the season. But being that they have missed practically all of spring training, they have no regular season, there is no room for error for the New York Yankees. Everybody is expecting the Yankees and the Dodgers to be in the World Series this year. But the question is, are these teams going to be ready moving forward when you think about a short season, a 60-game season, and making the playoffs? There are a lot of teams that we've been talking about, the Reds being one of them, where, that could be a sneaky team moving forward with the young talent that they have and the the, the pitching staff that they have moving forward in the National League. So this is going to be a really, really interesting 60-game season, not just for the big top teams that we've been talking about, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, like the... Um, uh, the Anaheim Angels that are supposed yeah. to be a powerhouse mm-hmm. this year. There are going mm-hmm. to be other teams that you're not expecting, like Seattle, like uh, the Chicago White Sox, even the Cleveland Indians, yeah. mm-hmm. where they're, you know, they lost a lot of players this offseason, but because of the short season and their lineup and the young players that they have, they can absolutely be in, a mix, in, in the mix making the playoffs this year.
4: There's going to be some interesting other facets with it, too, because one, it's going to change a lot of managerial strategy for a lot of these teams, depending on how much starting pitch depth they have depending on how much obviously bullpen depth that they have they don't have to really preserve for innings limits as much anymore you're obviously you're pitching in a shortened season and those pitchers can go harder as a result throwing the ball and the other aspect of it is how are you going to deal with with transactions you have these new 26 man roster but you also have we haven't heard anything yet about how trades are going to work in a shortened season and we have heard that contracts are going to be still nullified at least at this point to be within that season, which is going to be weird too. So any pending free agents, are they going to trade them more urgently or impulsively? It's going to be very interesting because that hasn't been revealed yet in this plan.
3: And you look at some of the teams, and I'm looking at the American League right now, even the Baltimore Orioles have a chance to be in competing for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. As crazy as that may sound, when you look at the talent and the talent on their team, 60 games is not a lot of games. And if a team gets into a 10-game losing streak or a 5-game losing streak, That could cost them the playoffs. It could. And the Yankees, and we've seen this back and forth with the New York Yankees, it took them a little while to get themselves, get their feet wet into the regular season where they understood how this team can compete and how the dominance that they compete, not only for the relief pitching and their starting pitching, but really their lineup. Remember, if teams and players get into these, like, Holes where they can't hit. Right. You're, you're talking about Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton. The Yankees could be in a lot of trouble early in the season, where you got teams like the Boston Red Sox. Even though they're not expected to win this year, they have a good lineup. They're very dangerous in the middle of their lineup. And teams like you talk about Toronto with the young talent that they have. What we've been talking about, like the Guerreros. So you know, so there is so many. There's so many ifs. Going into the baseball season, and I was talking to Charlie about this today. Uh, even with the Nationals winning the World Series and what they did last year, they're not. A, there's a very good chance that they might not. The, they might not make the playoffs right. this year. Mm-hmm. Remember, early in the season, 50 games into the season last year, they were not in the playoffs. They were fourth in their division. <laughs> yeah. So now you're talking about the Atlanta Braves, teams like the New York Mets with their pitching staff and with their lineup this year, with the power that they have in their lineup. They're going to be a lot of dangerous teams in a 60 game season. It's going to be very interesting, and it's going to be very interesting like Aaron Boone and, and and some of these managers taking a chance early in the season winning these games because if they lose a significant amount of games, the Yankees are going to have to win at least 35 games in my eyes to win that division. Mm-hmm. And so, And I think you also see as
4: well, you're going to see a lot of big streaks make a difference when it comes to this shortened season, because we saw it last year too, especially in the national league. There was a lot of hype between certain teams getting on big streaks. We saw the giants do it and then they stumbled. They saw the Mets do it. Then they stumbled Arizona, Milwaukee, teams like that. And th- those big streaks may be magnified even more. And you, t- you brought up the Yankees and the Dodgers. Those teams notoriously start kind of average all the time, and then they get going later. So they might not have that kind of benefit of trying to just grow later in the season like they always do. The
3: dangerous teams to look forward to watching, especially in an early season. The St. Louis uh, Cardinals, they're mm-hmm. a very dangerous team. The Braves are going to be a very dangerous team. The yes. Philadelphia Phillies, yes, the brand-new Philadelphia Phillies, they're going to be very interesting. And the reason why is they got a new manager in Joe Girardi, who knows how to compete in the National League. He did it with the Marlins, and then he was with the Yankees all those years. Now you're going to get an opportunity to watch these teams and generate some of the offense that they're going to generate early in the season, not only with power, but hitting for average. So, it's going to be really, really fun. Baseball is going to be even more fun than anybody thinks that it's going to be. be. So, I'm very intrigued, especially with some of the young teams and the young talent that we've seen so far in the Major Leagues. And I'm telling you right now, the answer. Anaheim Angels are going to be a very dangerous team in the West this year. As good as the Oakland Athletics and the Seattle Mariners, and some people think that the Texas Rangers and obviously the Houston Astros are going to be this year. I think that's going to be a fun division to watch in a short season, being that it's 60 games. Our first guest is going to like that he's from the Angels, so he'll love when you say that. Yeah, well, because I think he's going to be very intrigued on what the Angels are going to do. The middle of that lineup, they added some good offensive firepower this offseason. Pitching, I mean this team is going to be as dangerous as any team in a 60 game season. And, and Joe I'm gonna Madden tell too. and I'll tell you this right now, and I will say this over and over and over again. Knowing that it's a short season, don't expect some of the power that of uh, the power numbers that we saw last year early in the season with some of these great power hitters like the Guerreros, like the Panda Bear for the Mets. And even the Yankees would judge being healthy now that his rib is 100% healthy. You're not going to see the power early in the season, especially with the spring training. There's only going to be two weeks of spring training. Right, and you're not going to also see a
4: lot of the fluky years either that we saw last year. The guys like Eugenio Suarez all of a sudden almost hitting 50 home runs. You're not going to see those kinds of fluky years either. Just because with baseball players a lot of time too, it takes a while for them to get going. And you say it all the time with the Yankees and why Stanton was struggling and in the beginning of 2018, sometimes when the weather gets warmer, it gets better. Now they're going to be able to do it right away, but they're also going to have the spring training run, mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting.
3: It's going to be really, really interesting, especially if you're a Mets and a Yankees fan, being that you're in New York. The Mets are going to be more intriguing to watch this year because the Yankees are expected to win. Right. Not the Mets. The Mets aren't expected to win. But what makes this short season benefit the Mets is because of the power that they landed into the lineup, and they're, now they're going to be 100% healthy in the middle of their lineup, they're going to be as scary as the New York Yankees in a short season, especially with their pitching staff. So I'm going to be very intrigued and very interested to see where both teams and where are these teams going to play. Now, we have not heard where uh, exactly the, they're going to play in what state. Uh, They're not going to be playing in New York, that's for sure, as far as City Field and and Yankee Stadium. Everything I've heard, they're going to pick at least three to four destination places, maybe even more than that, in certain areas. They're not going to put it in Arizona anymore because Arizona is now an outbreak of Mm COVID-19. So it's not going to be in Arizona. And Florida, too. Florida has become an outbreak of COVID-19, too. So they're not going to move it in those states like everybody thought they were going to going to. And here's the thing, the NBA who everybody was talking about them moving uh, the NBA season in Orlando. I don't know if the the NBA is going to do that now with everything that's going on with Mm COVID-19 and the outbreak of COVID-19 in those states. So, I am very interested to see where they're going to drive these games, where they're going to put mm-hmm. these games, and how, how are they going to uh, make the divisions? Are they going to stick with the divisions the way they are, or are they going to move it into a Cactus League or a Grapefruit League? I don't right. know or how the, they're
4: going to do or it. Or the merging of what we saw in one of the proposals about a month ago with the combining of the two Easts, combining of the two Centrals essentially, and try to make it a centralized thing. And if they do end up having more of the COVID outbreaks in the South, like we're seeing now more, it might end up having to be kind of a centralized location. You could see maybe the Cardinals as uh, being a base of St. Louis for the central team. You could see something like San Francisco for the, for the West teams or, and then for the East,
3: probably something in the middle too, like in Ohio or something like that. CJ was saying, what about moving the MLB to Omaha? And that's an interesting question. Hmm. Uh, If, if the state is not, COVID-19 and there's no outbreak of COVID-19. That might be a good idea. The question is with, with the MLB is strategically, when you look at Rob Manfred and you can't trust Rob Manfred is going to make the right decisions (laughs) because he's made exactly what we've been saying the last couple of weeks. He's made all the wrong decisions so far with the MLB uh, with, with everything that's going on with the cheating scandals, with the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros, and even with the New York Yankees. So, I, I am very intrigued to see how Rob Manfred is going manage, to manage this and where are they going to put these games and how are they going to design moving forward where the league is going to head. So I, I, to me, my argument isn't that I'm not happy that baseball's coming back. I'm very excited that baseball is coming back. The question is where and how are they going to move forward uh, with the season? So that is going to be the question. And that's why we're going to get Jose Moda on the show in, in just a few minutes. And I'm going to ask him his opinion because I'm sure he has some more information that we don't have because he is an analyst. He is the broadcaster and TV and radio guy for the uh, Angels. So, I'd like to know what he thinks and his thoughts to the MLB coming back in a 60-game season. As you guys know, this is down to the wire. Remember, you can call us at 631-260-1601. Another shout-out to the Big Guy Sports Show. Great show, boys. Uh, looking forward to your your show tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have, we will be talking to Angels TV broadcaster Jose Moda here on Down to the Wire.
0: You're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to Down to the Wire on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
3: is the number. Remember, you can reach us at that number. Remember, you could also... Follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. This is down to the Real- We are live from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern time. I've been waiting to talk to this particular guy. We I heard a couple of weeks ago that we were going to get him on the show, and I was very, very much looking forward to talking to him. We are now talking to the Angels TV broadcaster, Jose Modo. What What's going on, Jose?
1: Everything is well, man. Uh, even better. So a good timing by you and uh, having uh, this interview fall exactly on the day in uh, which we're actually saying there's are going to be baseball here very soon.
3: And I'm sure you're excited about that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the, what you've been doing with this whole pandemic. How are you and your family doing?
1: Thankfully, uh, you know, we, uh, we've been quite fortunate uh, health-wise. Um, I do feel and obviously think about and pray about all those who have uh, suffered uh, loss uh, have suffered, um, you know, debilitating health, and uh, family members, and, uh, for sure, you know, those are always in our thoughts, but quite thankful that, you know, the family and I are healthy, and, um, our friends, you know, a couple of them have, uh, contracted the, uh, the virus, and, um, fortunately have come through, uh, but we've been, you know, staying put, enjoying my grandson, he's 18 months, uh, doing, uh, a few more things here, uh, via social media, involved with, the you know, a Twitter chat that I've been doing on, on Thursdays. Uh, I've been doing a Japanese American, English Japanese. Really? Uh, Twitter chat every other week with um, a fabulous talent we have here uh, named Saya Nomura. You might want to follow her. her. Her father was a leg, her grandfather was a legend, a uh, Japanese catcher, like the Japanese Yogi Berra,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Suya Nomura. So, Saya Nomura, she's an up and coming star in the Japanese American uh, broadcast and baseball, very knowledgeable. And, um, you know, with Mark Gugas, my am um, great partner for so many years in, in Angels TV. We do an Instagram Live on Wednesdays called Hosey and Sinkermaster. And beyond that, you know what? Just staying home. I, I love being home. And I'm, home <laughs> by I'm, not, I'm not missing the travel. I'm not missing the suitcases. But uh, for sure, I've been missing the game.
3: You know, it's funny. I was talking to Charlie Slows today, the voice of the Nationals. And I asked him, I said, were you excited about – are you excited that baseball is coming back? And he says, I'm very excited. But the problem is – I don't know where I'm going to be stationed. Am I going to be stationed in a box or am I going to be stationed at the stadium? So I don't even know where I'm going to be stationed moving forward in uh, being that there's a 60 game season. So, It's going to be very interesting how the MLB is going to move forward with this, especially not even knowing if they're going to be playing in their home places. Are they going to be uh, a certain area of places where some of these uh, teams are going to be stationed? And are they going to have a grapefruit league or a cactus league or kind of maneuver the division? So uh, what are your thoughts with moving into the season now? Um, Jose, with this team, the Anaheim Angels, with some of the star power that they have, they have arguably, well, it's not even arguably, he is the best player in the MLB, he's been the best player in the MLB, and Mike Trout, what are your thoughts with this team moving forward, knowing that there's a 60-game season with Joe Madden as the manager?
1: Well, Joe Madden becomes, uh, I mean, (laughs) a key piece here, because Joe Madden is as creative and as inventive and as good a motivator as there is to know that uh, this is what the season brings, well, this is what we have to do take care of business. Nobody is at a disadvantage here. I mean, if anything, if you get off to a good start and you maintain momentum, you 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 might roll yourself right into the playoffs. And the Angels, obviously, have not been to the playoffs in, in a while. So uh, it will be uh, advantageous to go out there and play good baseball right from the get-go. The other thing, too, is uh, there will there's not going to be a Cactus League or a Grapefruit League, obviously, for health reasons and travel and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the teams will start working out on July 1st. They will Train in their home cities. The only team that cannot train in their home city is Toronto, the Blue Jays, because of the restrictions on travel to mm-hmm. Canada. But overall, you know, guys are going to be happy that uh, they're going to be staying home, be home with their families every single night. Uh, one of the toughest thing really is going to be to get you know amped up in three weeks to get to uh, playing uh, shape and, and playing level and mentality. But uh, that's just the challenge that is out there for everybody. And uh, the other good thing about this too is that. The rosters will start probably around 30 and then be minimized as the season progresses. So it's going to give a lot of guys opportunities to make the team, make an impression. Uh, you can bulk up your pitching staffs. And for the Angels, you know, now the uh, the uh, Los Angeles Angels, uh, if people hear you say Anaheim, some people get very um, upset, so I'm not going to use Anaheim.
0: <laughs> make sure
1: you lose. When you say Angels, that's what we do. You say the Angels. But uh, you know what? For many people, it's hard to lose the um, – you know, that uh, that instinct, it's, you know, it's that reaction, the Anaheim Angels, you know, that's, that's what they won back in 2002. Uh-huh. Uh, but I look forward to it. I look forward to what this new challenge brings. I mean, there's going to be a taxi squad, probably 50 or 60 players that are going to be ready because, obviously, there's not going to be a minor league season. So it's going to be providing a lot of chances for a lot of guys. But you got to be ready. you got to be ready to execute. you got to play the game. And know that, um, to me, one of the key pieces here becomes – your middle relief, those guys that are going to be able to hold you for three, two, three innings, you know, right after starters come out. Starters, I'm not going to be out at 110 pitches, so you got to understand that the middle relief becomes important like never before in the game of baseball to have guys and candidates and piggyback on guys, you know, piggyback on starters if you need to, according to who you play. So things are going to be different in, in so many respects. Uh, the DH rule, obviously, for this season, will be implemented uh, on both sides, but um, uh. The, the travel is going to be you know restricted only to within your division and then your division rivals in the in the other league. That's the way it's going to be done. So there's going to be very little travel outside of your area your region. So um, it's going to be fun for us at least you know and, and maybe Charlie was not informed from his team yet, but at least we know that the plan for the Angels is to broadcast the games from the stadium
0: mm-hmm.
1: to do our pre and pre pre and post game shows from the stadium. And uh, as of right now, um, and uh, the radio broadcast also from the stadium. That's as of right now. I mean, things could change, but at least in that case, you know, watching games and doing the games on the road from uh, an empty stadium in a booth—it's not going to be a problem. You got to go out there and just take care of doing your job. And that's something that I did for five years, actually. How, how I started my TV career, broadcasting Major League Baseball, watching games, and, and calling them off the off uh, the monitors for five years at Fox and. And those are national games, big games, a World Series. I did Cotton Bowl. I did a uh, Super Bowl. I did, you know, Sammy and McGuire, 98, World <laughs> Series, it. so It's going to be a change, challenge, but, you know, we're just happy for the people of this country that have gone through so much and people around the world, you know, with so many international stars that are going to see their heroes back in uniform playing baseball. Hopefully, too, and I say hopefully, um, there's not going to be a setback with the coronavirus because if you think of what happened here the last year, week or so between the Phillies, the Giants, uh, the Jays, and these positives that came out. And if baseball had started two weeks ago, the season would have been halted right now. Right. So let's hope that once they get going, all these protocols are taken care of and and the players want to be tested out daily, I think it's going to be a good thing. I'm, I'm very happy.
4: You talked about Joe Madden and the creativity of it, and now we have a shortened season, potentially probably 60 games do you think that kind of style, managerially, whether it's him or whether it's other managers, younger managers across the league, will be more in play because of the sixty
1: games or less? They're going to have to use whatever the personnel dictates, but the because of the uh, of how quick this is going to happen. If you think about, you know, pitchers start in spring training um, with three innings or so, right? Two innings, 30 pitches. Then they go to three innings, 45 pitches. Then they go to 60. Then they go to 75 and so forth. By the time they leave, at least they've hit 90 or 100 pitches. The Angels' plan for this season was for guys to leave spring training at around 105, 110 pitches going into the season. So that's going to be different. We don't know how much you're going to be able to implement a routine playing against your own guys because there's not going to be, you know, a Cactus League or a Grapefruit League. You're going to be playing inter-squad games, and sometimes it's hard to get amped up for those games and, and get the fluids going and they get everything. Well, the adrenaline, you know, the competitiveness, but they're going to have to find a way. But, you know, in that respect, um, the managing style for Joe is ideal because he knows what he has. He's got guys that, that get on base, that David Fletcher, the Tommy Lestellas, uh Anderson Simmons. They have the clutch guys. They have the veteran guys in Albert Pujols. They have the best player in the game. You got Rendon. Uh, I mean, you got um you know jason castro you got upton you have uh, brian goodwin so it's going to be interesting but joe has plenty of weapons i believe to go out there and at least pressure teams right from the get-go run the bases hard take the extra base don't be afraid to go first or third push the issue and the more pressure you put on the defense from the very get-go well the tougher you're going to be to defend because obviously it might take sluggers remember It might take sluggers a little bit to get going and find that home run stroke. So you better be able to create runs no matter what to make sure that uh, you have an advantage.
3: We are talking to Angels TV broadcaster Jose Moda. Now, Jose, when you look at – you were talking about the the roster of the Angels. And they have a tremendous amount of talent. And you you added Anthony Rendon, who had one of his best seasons last year. Uh, was a big part of the Nationals winning the World Series last year. When you look at Shea Ohtani, who a lot of people were talking about, he not only is he a fantastic hitter in, in the lineup, you could put him anywhere in the lineup. He hits for power, he hits for average. But this guy is one of the most yo- dominant young pitchers in baseball. Coming back from Tommy Johns, he hasn't really pitched in practically almost two years. What are your thoughts of him coming back this season, his 60-game season, and showing his, his talent on the mound?
1: Oh, it's going to be amazing. I mean, if anything, Shohei Ohtani could be the guy that's ahead of everybody right now because he has been on his throwing program. He has been throwing against hitters, and he's a monster, man. He's a beast. He's just watching videos of him working out, um, throwing to live hitters, and pumping some fastballs in there is pretty pretty impressive. And Shohei, what he brings, I mean, it's something that we have never seen in Major League Baseball, uh, you know, than you know, back in the days of Babe Ruth. Obviously, when we didn't see it, but. Uh, To see it every day and to see the talent on the field, to see how young he is, uh, his interactions and and adaptation to the culture and uh, how he's beloved by the fans as teammates and uh, just a quiet, unassuming guy who's a mega rock star in Japan who comes here and fits in well with everybody and just puts on a display every time he's on the mound. And when he's at home plate, it's one of those times where you don't want to go in and get anything like concessions because uh, <laughs> he might put on a show or do something you've never seen before. And plus, Shohei can run. Shohei is one of the fastest guys on the team, in fact, in Major League Baseball. And Shohei creates a lot of havoc when he's on the bases. And he wants to be active on the bases, which I love. The difference is going to be, you know, compared to last year, that he's not going to be able to be on the field as a hitter every single day. But, uh, again, another challenge for Joe Madden. We'll see what happens. And, because you don't have the luxury of shutting him down for three days that perhaps uh, Shohei might be hitting uh, on days when he's also pitching. So that's going to be so, uh, a lot of fun to to follow and to see how creative you can be, knowing that the, you cannot push it too hard, knowing that obviously with a short season, the playoffs are right around the corner. And you don't, you don't want to be losing guys and sacrifice guys because of the early going and not have them available later on.
4: Can you see the trend of Shohei Ohtani-like players, guys that are just very good athletes that could hit and pitch? Can you see that being a new trend in baseball, uh, maybe not next year or this year or the following year, but maybe like five years from now, if Ohtani does become successful?
1: Well, Shohei's shown that he's successful. He's he's done it. You know, um, it's not easy to do. I mean, he's got to have, obviously, the athletic ability, the skills, the tools, the mindset, and the discipline to um, – also know how to kind of balance things out, you know, from time of the cage, from throwing the bullpens, from what he watches on video to get ready for a game against a pitcher or a game against hitter. So all that, you know, goes into consideration and how special this guy is and the mentality that he does possess. But uh, in becoming a trend, you got to be good. I mean, you can't just do it just to do it. You cannot just make guys do it. Everybody wants to, you know, if you ask an infielder, they might say, hey, I want to pitch, and but – <laughs> Everybody thinks they can pitch. You know, and, and, and it's, like pitch it's like a pitcher. A pitcher, you like, oh, I could hit it. I mean, it's not easy to do. If it was easy to do, more guys would have done it, not just two years ago, but many, many years ago and throughout the history of the game. So because it's not easy to do, I don't think it's going to become a trend. More teams will try it, for sure, because of Shohei, and teams are trying it, even drafting kids and saying, oh, this guy projected a two-way player. But you know what? It gets to a point where with, with so many games, so many demands on your body, on your mind, on the travel and the minor leagues and the buses and, and the learning. You know, There's there's, there's a, a curve that needs to happen also in learning. Which position are you going to be more advanced in? And at some point, when it comes down to your talent, which side is more developed? And Major League teams have to be forced to decide, well, this guy's going to help us more as a pitcher, so we need a pitcher now, and then that's how decisions are made.
3: We are talking to Angels TV broadcaster, Jose Moda. Now, Jose, I, I, I'm a big Albert Pujols, Pujols fan uh, when he when he played for the Cardinals. And last season, everybody keeps saying he's breaking down, but last season he had a sensational season. I know he didn't bat for average. He was batting .244, but he had 23 home runs. He had 93 RBIs, and he was the best player in baseball really in the early 2000 era. Now you're talking about Mike Trout and and the growth of Mike Trout of what he has been the last seven or eight years. Uh, as a player and really has taken over baseball. And this guy could be one of the greatest baseball players by the time he's done and retiring. When you look at Albert Pujols and his leadership, do you see his leadership on the field as much as you've seen Mike Trout develop as a player?
1: Oh, they're connected. I mean, Albert, Albert has become a different player um, because of Trout and, Trout is the first one to tell you he's thankful to have guys like Albert Pauls. And, uh, you know, obviously he had Torrey Hunter here before, but Albert's been the one in his ears since day one. And Albert's been a guy that, uh, uh, lived it. Albert. I mean, if you put Albert's first 10 years in the big leagues, I don't see anybody in the history of the game matching those numbers. Nobody, no Trout, no Manny Ramirez, no Biggie Cabrera. Nobody's ever had 10 years like Albert Pujols did. And I think people forget that, and we should not forget that. I mean, that's history, man. We're talking about a walking Hall of Famer, still producing, as he mentioned. Uh, many people critique Albert for uh, his legs and lack of speed or not walking. Albert's a productive player, man, and he, this guy wants to win with the best. And one, one thing about Albert, too, is he's done it before. He's hungry. Uh, I think one of the best things now is that we have Tony La Russa here with the organization. That's that's a huge asset. Tony's done it before with Albert um, Robert is inspired and wants to learn. He wants to win so badly for owner Artie Moreno, who has put so many resources, uh, you know, and effort into into building a winner. And uh, for a guy like Pujols, for those that say that you know RBIs don't matter, that you know it's just a product where you hit. Well, I totally am against that. I just don't believe that because not everybody that you put in number four spot is going to drive in 100 runs or 120 runs. You got to know how to drive in runs. If it was that easy to drive in runs, then why are there more people in the 2,000 RBI club? And that's the way I defend Albert. No, he's not the same player. Of course not. Mike Trout's not going to be the same player, you know, in seven years. That's just reality. That's what the game is. And we have to understand that guys evolve and and, and they decline. But at the same time, I'll take 23 and 93 from a 25-year-old right now that perhaps is being talked about highly that's never going to get to that number only because he walks. He's talking about highly. So, you know, Albert's getting paid to hit home runs and driving runs. And to me, forget about it. he is as productive as they've come. And there's no doubt that the, he, he fits more the, the prototype old style player. But this guy is a winner wherever he is because he knows how to play the game. He knows how to be a good offensive player and how to impact also his teammates.
4: You guys have broadcast another great player in Vladimir Guerrero when he came to the Angels, and I believe it was 2004. What was the what was the best thing you saw about him watching him play and broadcasting Vladimir Guerrero? Oh,
1: just the superstar, man. Just the big smile <laughs> uh, reminded me of watching clips of Roberto Clemente, who was a teammate of my dad. Vladi played with such joy, effort every single day. There's not a time when Vladi didn't hit a ground ball the second base or shortstop stuff, that he didn't run hard down that line. Uh, you know, the teeth and the smile and uh, the pretty whites and the throws from right field, uh, the reckless running on the bases, uh, the thunder in that bat, uh, and just his presence. I mean, Vladi brought presence, man, number 27 in right field. Everywhere we went, it was like, wow, there's the big Vladi Guerrero. And uh, I'm so honored to be a friend of his, to, be, to have been part of his Hall of Fame induction, um, historic, actually, and uh, to see that uh, he is humble. Again, another great teammate guy. Bloody didn't have a whole lot to say. A lot of it is because of the English language. But, uh, boy, you talk about the best run the Angels have ever had in their, in their history came with number 27 Guerrero, batting third or fourth, and also surrounded by a lot of Hispanic players, which is something we should not ignore. You know, for this organization, their best run ever in history was with Frankie Rodriguez closing games, you have Escobar, you have Bartolo, you got Asturias, you got Ibar, you got Guerrero. Those are prime players, man. And you can see the importance of, as we're facing all this stuff about race and all that, the importance Latinos and blacks have played in the history of this organization or throughout Baseball.
3: As you guys know, we are talking to Angels TV broadcaster, great, Jose Moda. Now, Jose, I was talking in the beginning of my monologue, in the beginning of the show, I was talking about the American League West. And the reason why I'm looking at the American League West, because it's a 60-game season, you're talking about the Houston Astros, the Oakland A's, the Texas Rangers, the LA Angels, and the Seattle Mariners. All five teams could be on the loom of possibly making the playoffs, being that there's a 16-game season. I think the Angels, with the talent that they have, with Rendon, with the middle of this lineup, is going to be as dangerous as any middle lineup in baseball, with Otani there and uh, Pujols and, uh, of course, the great Mike Trout. What are your thoughts about going into the season, a 60-game season, knowing that it's only 60 games, and the Angels, with the talent that they added this offseason, and Joe Madden, they have an opportunity to be a World Series champion this year?
1: Well, they need to go out there and uh, establish the where they're going to play immediately, just like we saw in spring training. Uh, there's a nice mix of the veteran players, as they mentioned. I mean, Anthony Rendon is such an addition to this club. It's, I can't even describe to you how important that is to have a gold-globe caliber third baseman, a leader, somebody that's won rings now. Uh, he's driven and runs. He is for average. He gets on base. He sets the table. I mean, Mike Trout's going to have somebody, you know, hitting behind him that he's never had before in a consistent basis, and somebody like Rendon. But there's no doubt the way you, you presented it is they're going to score runs. They're going to be have the ability to score some runs. Now it's a matter of holding down the opponent and holding down, you know, the other lineups and being able to hold leads and being able to get ahead of teams early and have your pitching withhold. So, I mean, the Andrew Heenies, the, the Matt Andrees, the, um, you know, Patrick Sandoval, Griffin Canning, obviously. Um, you have, you know, the ad- addition of Tehran and Bundy. Those guys play huge, huge, huge role. Felix Pena, uh, Dylan Peters. Mm-hmm. These are huge things that need to happen for the Indians to, uh, you know, get it all together. But overall, offense will be there. Base running will be there. Now it's a matter of pitching, which is obviously the number one thing for everybody. Now, in terms of the division. You still got to go through a tough team like the Astros, regardless of what's happening with them in the past and breaking the rules and cheating. Uh, they're a good ball club. And, and the Oakland A's, I mean, the Oakland A's are, is a team that nobody talks about. I mean, they have one of the best players in the American League, Marcus Simeon. Nobody talks about this kid. <laughs> Finalist for the AL MVP and a guy that knows how to play the game. He's become a much better defensive player, reliable with the glove and the arm. He's worked his tail off. He's got power. He plays in Oakland, underappreciated. And, you know, Piscotti and, and, and Olsen. I mean, uh, Matt Chapman, these, these are super good players, man. Chris Davis, uh, Ramon Laureano, and, and you know, the Houston Astros, obviously, um, without Cole, obviously, are going to be a different team, but they're going to be benefiting from the fact that Verlander was not going to be ready to start the season had it started back in, in late March, and now he's going to be ready, and when you've won and you got talent, you know, with Correa and Altuve and, and, and Redick and those guys, uh, there's no doubt you know that you're the team to beat. I think the Astros need to go in with the same mentality that they're the team to beat. Bregman, one of the best players in the game. Um, and take nobody for granted, the, the, the Texas Rangers are going to be inspired by the new ball club, young ball club. Chris Woodward does a fantastic job as a manager. Joey Gallo, who couldn't play a whole lot last year, is more than ready. Uh, and they know that they have some young players that uh, they need to go out there and, and have step up. Willie Calhoun plays a big role for them. He's going to be playing every day, uh, and it's going to be fun to watch. So a new ballpark, you know, new new um, surroundings, um, you know, Corey Kluber, that rotation is going to be fun to watch too. Mm-hmm. And for the Seattle Mariners, again, the short season might present the opportunity that they need to say, hey, guys, you know what, for 60, let's go out there and just put it all together. Put it all together and get it done. So it's going to be hard to, you know, pin down a favorite, but for sure you got to go out there and look at talent, look at history, and know that uh, the Indians are in a good spot to go out there and, and make a run and be one of these five teams uh, in their league.
4: You managed or uh, managing before Madden coming in was uh, was Mike Sosha. He was there for a long time. He was there for quite a while. In terms of that run that you were talking about with those great teams uh, with Vladimir Guerrero, what do you think some of the things that made Mike Sosha is such a good manager and so long in different phases of the game.
1: Mike, number one, understood the game. He could teach the game. And Mike cared. Mike cared about his players. Mike cared about them as people. Uh, Mike created an environment where he wanted players to know that he's going to put them in the best position to succeed. Mike Sosha managed a clubhouse. Mike Sosha. Managed the game to the details. Mike Sosha pre-managed the game to the details, so he was not surprised by anything. Uh, that's why you've seen the product of uh, Ryan um you know, a guy like Dino Evil, who's to me on the verge of becoming a big league manager. But Renicki is going to manage uh, the Red Sox. Former manager for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you see, Joe Madden obviously went up to Tampa Bay, won a World Series with nobody else but the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> I mean, that's unreal. And then Buddy Black, who's managing the Rockies. So um, it's a product of how Mike delegates to his coaches, how players respond to the challenge. And sometimes they don't like what they're being told, but they know it's best for them, for the team, and it's about winning. It's about the W. It's about the uniform and the name in the front, not the name in the back. And Mike social overall just took a lot of pride in how he, he prepared his team on the offensive side, on the defensive side, on the pitching side, with the catchers holding down base runners, all those things mattered to him. And his imprint was not only in the big leagues, but all throughout the organization. And right now we need more managers that can go out there and set that print and the filters down. So when guys get to the big leagues, they know exactly how to what to expect. Uh, they know exactly that mistakes are going to be part of the game. They know um, what their role is going to be, and they know they have to play the game well. they got to be round players, not just like one-dimensional players. To stick, and and that's why, uh, you know, Mike is a guy that brought that success with his mentality as a catcher with the Dodgers, a winning attitude. And, you know, you got to have the winning attitude and and the taste of winning to understand exactly what it takes to get your players there.
3: We are talking to Angels TV broadcaster Jose Moda. Now, Jose, these are the last two questions I have for you, and, and they're good questions because. Uh, I know you have your own thoughts to it. You mentioned the Houston Astros and the cheating uh, with uh, the garbage pails in the go- in the in the dugout and the different cameras that they used over there. Um, you know, and all the way in the bullpen. Uh, what were your thoughts to the Houston Astros? Do you think that Rob Manford laid uh, laid the hammer down on them? And what are your thoughts with the electric umpiring? thoughts of pop- possibly implementing and taking away the home umpire uh, position?
1: Well, you know, the Astros in cheating, the integrity of the game was compromised. There, there's no doubt. I mean, I don't think that you can say that um, they won those games by beating the opponent fair and square. It's just no way to say that. There's no way to quantify to justify that. It's over, and Rob Manfred did what he thought he needed to do under the circumstances and what the resources that he had available, but Uh, I think the punishment could have been, you know, a little harder. Players share the same thoughts. Uh, I know as a player that if I had been given the signs and I knew what was coming, I would have been a 300-hitter easy. I mean, it doesn't take much for you to, you know, either lay off a pitch or know what's coming and time it right. Uh, But, you know, in that case, they're going to pay a price for that. And people are not going to forget. They're not going to forget. I mean, two of my best friends lost jobs because of that, and they are paying the price. And, you know, Alex Cora, who's a tremendous baseball man made a mistake. He admits it and, and is paying the price for that. And I can see him being back in baseball here uh, after this season, maybe not in a managerial role, but uh, somewhere with somebody in a very important uh, player personnel role. And uh, Carlos Beltran, who never even got a chance to put on a uniform with the, as a manager and uh, paying that price. They know they made mistakes. It's not right. What they did is not right. And they're going to be, you know, people identify with that asterisk who knows for from here on uh, forever. Um, but, when you think about, um, you know, those things and, and what it takes to, to get that done, um, it was a group effort pref- you know, it came from above, and I've, obviously they were using, uh, there were instruments to facilitating all that. Um, and then, um, you know, hopefully uh, people forget about that at some point, give them a ch- another chance, but they know that they did wrong and, and they're paying that price. And what was the other part of the question?
3: And the umpires, uh, the fact that they're... Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah.
1: know what? Um, just like I didn't think... <laughs> said replay was going to happen. I This one, I, I doubt. it. I think it's going to be implemented at some point. I mean, they've gotten so far on the testing that now is in, you know, higher leagues and, and higher competition. But it's going to have to be improved a lot. I saw some examples of what happened in the fall league. Some of the calls that were being made. And, no, you just cannot have that. That cannot be accepted at the major league level you know, some of the strikes that were being called. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether it's going to happen, I think it will happen. Eventually it's going to happen, and you're going to have the home plate umpire uh, just there to call, uh, you know, plays at home play. But uh, uh, the fact that they, they tinker with us so much means that uh, eventually this this will happen.
3: Jose, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social
1: media? Follow me on social media. Well, Instagram and Twitter, the same. JoseMota05, Jose J-O-S-E-M-O-T-A zero five And I look forward to always uh, connecting with the fans. Not a big, I mean, I'm not on social media a lot, <laughs> um, but I am there enough just for the fans to interact with the fans and, you know, maybe say a couple things about my personal life. Not a whole lot, but at least I love to share with the fans. Um, and because we are so fortunate, I've been so fortunate my entire life in baseball that, you know, I grew up in baseball. I was around star players from the day I was born. I know what a clubhouse is like, the media. Uh, the travel all those kinds of things uh, being around you know my father manny who you know taught us everything we need to know about the game having gone to a great school in cal state fullerton winning a national championship for Aggie Garrido, uh, meant a lot to me so all those things that come back to for me to share all those things and part of my history uh, is very important and also for the kids i love talking to the youngsters i love talking to the coaches the parents the moms and dads the grandmas when they reach out via twitter or instagram to share stories give them baseball tips and, um, you know, share a lot of that because, obviously, uh, we can't keep all that inside. I mean, God put us here for a reason. And if you can just make somebody's day and bring a smile and let them know that uh, uh, you had a conversation with Mike Trout about a young players today, <laughs> whole—you know, it means a whole lot of how to throw a baseball, how to grip a baseball. All those things uh, mean that i got to be the, the conduit and the channel. To get to get to the fans, and I really enjoy that part of social media.
3: Well, you get the opportunity to watch uh, watch Mike Trout every single day, which is oh
1: yeah,
3: uh, it's pro. It, to me, it's incredible because he's around where we live. We're from he's from Philadelphia. We're over here in New York. So um, I I actually followed Mike Trout over the years, growing you know from high school a ball to um, really getting drafted. And I, I wanted the Yankees to draft wow. him. I remember that. Yep. So I've been following Mike Trout for years uh, and and everybody was talking about Bryce Harper but mm-hmm. nobody really, really knew who Mike Trout was until he was drafted at I think he was the 24th I think he was the same draft as Harper. No, he was yeah he was. Yeah. Harper was 1 and he was the 24th or 26th yeah. pick by the Angels no, if yeah. I if I if I if I can remember but yeah, um, yeah, Mike... In fact,
1: the big schools missed out on him. He was committed to like East Carolina or something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you figure like somebody knew a lot about this kid, and you know, like, wow, where are the big schools? And he, like, <laughs> it, it's an incredible
3: story. It really is, and that why... is a
1: great story. He's a great kid, humble kid, plays hard, works hard, wants to learn, never satisfied and and really deserves to be in the postseason. So people really get to see this guy on display.
3: It's a shame because he is the face of baseball. But nobody – it's so funny, uh, Jose. When we, we, we talk about Mike Trout, if you put Mike Trout on my block and he walked down the block, nobody would know who he is. But if, LeBron, right. if LeBron James was walking up and down the block, they know who he was. So – And Mike Trout, to me, is the greatest, uh, to me, the greatest athlete right now in professional sports. And I don't think anybody gives him enough respect on how talented he really is.
1: Oh, that's good. Special. Plus, he's a great kid. That's the main thing. He's a very humble kid. You can talk to him. I I got to meet Mike Trout when he was in A-ball and, uh, had a conversation with him when he was in Puerto Rico playing for the USA team. And, and, uh, that's how our, our relationship started. Very respectful and very hungry. Um, great family kid, um, you know, parents, both educators, so you can see why he's turned out the way he is. And uh, and I say it again, this guy deserves to be surrounded by good players. He deserves to win and because he's been around guys who have won before, like Albert Pujols, and he knows what it's all about.
3: Jose, thank you for joining us. When the season does begin, we'd love to get you back on to talk a little Angels baseball and some MLB baseball.
1: You got it. My pleasure, guys. Keep doing a good job, and I look forward to connecting with you again.
3: Thank all you, right. Jose. Bye. Jose Moda, and he is the voice of the – well, I almost said Anaheim Angels again. The Los Angeles Angels. Uh, great interview. Yes. Gave us some good insight of not only uh, the MLB but Angels baseball, and, and and they have a great opportunity this mm-hmm. year, adding the players and the pieces that they added this year to be a fantastic 60-game season team. So – I'm looking forward to the season. I'm very excited. So definitely looking forward to that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get more into – what was the topic that you really wanted to get the into? The
4: dysfunctional franchises. Can we finally get the list out?
3: All right. We'll go to a quick break. We'll we'll talk about dysfunctional fan- franchises in, in all of professional sports. And then at 7.15, we'll be talking to Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit, Brayden Wood, here on Down to the Wire.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: You're, 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 you're listening, listening to Down
0: to, Down to the wire, wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
3: 631-260-1601 is the number. And remember, this is Down to the Wire. We live 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. As you guys know, I want to thank Jose Moda for joining us. The voice of the Los Angeles Angels gave us some good insight, not only with the Angels, but the MLB and looking forward to the season. So he gave us some great information Uh, in a few, just a few moments. We're going to have Kansas state football defensive lineman recruit Braden Wood joining us here on down to the wire. But I, I do want to get into dysfunctional franchises and Speedy, this is, this is something that you wanted to get into and, There are a lot of dysfunctional franchises here in New York. A lot of them. A matter of fact, I would say three of the top ten franchises in a professional sport Mm -hmm. are here in New York. One of them, I would say, the New York Jets has been a dysfunctional franchise for a very, very long time. Uh, An organization that hasn't won since 1969. Uh, They've been to a couple AFC Championship games with Rex Ryan. Besides that... Uh, The last time they saw uh, even a lick of greatness was in 98 Mm -hmm. when uh, they were in an AFC title game and completely got their butts whipped by the Broncos in the second half of the season. I mean, second half of the game. So um, when I look at the Jets, they're a dysfunctional organization. They've always been. Uh, The New York Knicks have been a dysfunctional organization in professional basketball. They have been the worst franchise in the last 25 years. They have won the least amount of games in the last 25 years of 25 seasons in the NBA. When you're talking about some of the great teams of the nineties, when you talk about Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and Charles Smith and Xavier McDaniel, Kiki Vanderway, John Starks and Anthony Mason, we talk about one of those grit teams of the New York, New York, uh, uh, the New York Knicks. Knicks, And, and really, Pat Riley and Jeff Van Gundy, and then you look at some of the coaches we've seen. So you know, in the last fifteen to twenty years, they've been absolutely horrendous. So uh, you talk about the New York Knicks franchise, another franchise that has been a, probably the most defunct- dysfunctional franchise in New York is the New York Mets because of the Wilpons. The Wilpons have been one of the worst owners. In professional sports, you talk about Jeff, who has been all over the place uh, in his decision making and who's taking over the team. You sold the team to Cohen and he decide that Cohen doesn't own 80 percent of the team until five years down the road. It makes absolutely no sense. They want control. They're a control freaking organization. So uh, those three organizations right now in New York have been three of the worst Professional organization team, you know, organizations in professional sports in the last fifteen to twenty years. Yeah, the Knicks, especially, I think, just because the f- in a free agency driven world,
4: every player wants to go to big cities. Seemingly, the fact that they haven't been able to do as much as they could do in free agency in a a player run league, essentially, now you have to look at it and say, what What is going on here? And then they can't develop players; just they can't. Really do anything much, and you're right—they haven't won any games. Really, they're
3: dysfunctional (laughs) from the ownership all the way down to uh, the president, to the GM, to the coaching. I mean, they've been so dysfunctional, and and this organization needs to figure it out. Uh, Hopefully, uh, knowing that you bring in Rose, who is um, a guy that has a background as an agent, one of the best agents in professional sports. Uh, bringing him in, maybe bringing in Tom Thibodeau, and, and maybe a good coaching staff could really develop some of the young players, but when you talk about dysfunction, the New York Knicks, the New York Mets, and the New York Jets have been dysfunctional, including the, the New York Giants the last eight or nine the years. The last five years, I would say the Giants are definitely
4: Eight or in nine the, years, You have been dysfunctional. Would say more than yes, that. I was yes. going to say, since they fired Coughlin, I, and, or that whole bad debacle of whatever happened with Coughlin, whether he resigned or not, I think that's really the, the window you're looking at. So if we're judging dysfunctional franchises the last five years, yes, I would, I would put the Giants
3: in there. I don't know about top five in all of sports, but definitely in the NFL for sure. New York sports has been a dysfunction, really. Besides the New York Yankees, it's been so dysfunctional in so many ways. to one, so I would put the the Mets, the Jets, and the Knicks in the top ten of dysfunctional franchises in professional sports.
4: Now, who would you put in if you're including every other team too? Because I, the Knicks were my number three overall and definitely I think the most dysfunctional in basketball. Who would you include in terms of your other ones?
3: Uh, the Browns, they've been a dysfunctional okay, my organization. Number one yep. They've been absolutely mm-hmm. terrible, horrendous. Uh, no matter who they bring in, as far as the coach is concerned, the GM's concerned, or even with the ownership, the way they run their organization, they've been an absolute debacle. And uh, Deciding to go with Baker Mayfield over Sam Donald <laughs> was a real big mistake. It will, it will catch up to them. It will. It, it might not be right now, but it will catch up to them uh, soon enough. So I, I just think they're a dysfunctional organization, just completely poorly run by ownership. And, and you know, it all trickles down from the top. So uh, the Browns have been a dysfunctional organization. Another organization that I think has been very dysfunctional in in professional baseball, and um, you, you talk, and I'm, I'm going to give the name in just one second. When you talk about the Miami Marlins, they've been a dysfunctional organization, really because of ownership. Now, they have won championships. The Marlins have actually won a World Series championships. Won twice, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like they haven't won, but the uh, the ownership over there, back and forth, not putting the money into the right players, giving money to the wrong players right. over the years has really cost the organization a whole lot. And then they bring in Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter sells off the, practically the whole team <laughs> and some of the great players in the league. You're talking about two NVBs and Yellich and Giancarlo Sting. You send them to the Yankees for practically nothing, and then you, you, sell, you, you sell Christian Yellich, Practically the Milwaukee Brewers. And he turns out to be one of the best best players in baseball. So uh, this is a real dysfunctional organization. And even with Derek Jeter there, how... How could you not look at dysfunction of right. Derek Jeter selling off practically every single great player that he has? So. I would add another one for the
4: MLB. I would say the Mariners as well for MLB. It seems like they make a lot of bad trades all the time. And it seems like they haven't been maybe as bad as the Marlins because they've still been average at times. But outside of the Griffey, Edgar Martinez, those teams, when have they really been good in their franchise history beyond that? They haven't made the playoffs since that 2001 season. So that's going to make it very hard. They're the only team that has never made a World Series. So I would add them to the list as well if you're judging baseball.
3: Uh, the Orlando. Magic, an organization that just can't win. They over the years with Shaquille O'Neal, especially in the '90s, the late '90s, they were a dominant force with Anthony Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal, and they built around Shaquille O'Neal. And then he decided to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Ever since he decided to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, this organization has been a mockery, a, a laughing stock. Yes, they had Dwight Howard and they and, and Jamir Nelson, and they made it to the they made it to the championship one year, and they completely got their butts whipped. But nevertheless they've been a dysfunctional organization ever ever since dwight howard decided to to leave the organization as well so uh, they've just been a terrible organization as well P- poorly run poorly owned uh, trickles all the way down from the top. So uh, they're another organization. All right. For NHL, for me,
4: I, I would take the Buffalo Sabres as definitely being the most right now. We were talking about it yesterday, the great teams they had with Dominic Hasik when he was there in the 90s. But again, it's kind of like the Mariners, really beyond that. What have they done in their franchise history? Not very much. They haven't made the playoffs, I think, since 06 in an in a NHL, which has a lot of parity all the time. So it seems like a lot of prospects crumble there. Big name draft picks crumble there. Now Jack Eichel wants out. So I think there's a lot of different things they can they can look at when it comes to when you come to the Buffalo Sabers, and again, it seems like no player ever wants to go
3: there either. Uh, we have a caller, CJ. What's going on, my friends?
2: What's going on, Arrow?
3: How I'm good, doing, man.
2: Pete? Go
3: ahead, my friend.
2: <laughs> so I gotta say. Uh, I definitely agree with your list of dysfunctional franchises there, uh, especially you know the New York Jets being one of them. So it, it's, I'm a fan. So
3: I'm just speaking the truth.
2: Yep it, it, it's it's the truth. It really is. It's just been you know it, it, it's. Uh... <laughs> It's enough to give me agita. I'm surprised I'm not bald
3: yet. Well, you you do a whole show, which is coming to our network very, very soon, about the New York Jets and their organization, and and really, moving forward, I think this organization is run by Joe Douglas, is going to only help them moving forward. They need to get rid of Jamal Adams. They need to get rid of all the cancer that's in their locker room, because they need to develop and build on Sam Darnold, and and build around the talent that they have right now, building around the offensive line.
2: Well, I completely agree except the only thing I don't agree with getting rid of Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, you know, regardless of the the corner that he's painted himself in with his shenanigans on social media, you know, the Jets still control him and and most of all Joe Douglas has still publicly said that he wants to make Jamal Adams a Jet for life. So now whether Jamal Adams is, whether Jamal Adams is going to you know, want to sign a contract with the New York Jets or not, well, then he could basically file his retirement papers with the <laughs> NFL and he can go about his free agency that way because Joe Douglas and the New York Jets are not in the wrong in any way, shape, or form right now. And I, I think this is something that you, you have a portion of the fan base that is incredibly upset with the organization feeling like Jamal Adams should get paid and the, the organization is kind of is kind of jerking him around. And then you have the other half in which they understand that, hey, look, you know, Jamal Adams is still in the contract for the next two years. And yes, he has been the Jets best player. He just needs to understand that we got a pandemic going on. The salary cap is still in flux with no official word for next year, which is why you're not seeing a lot of NFL teams really make a lot of big moves as far as their salary cap is concerned. So mm-hmm. as far as signings are concerned, as well too. I mean, other than Dak Prescott, but I mean, Jerry Jones prints his own money downstairs in the basement <laughs> of his of, of of his mansion in Texas. So I don't really know if you could really count that. But you know, I mean, it, it, if it, if anything, what Jet fans just need to do is they need to continue to stay the course and be patient. Everybody's completely aggravated with with Adams' antics on social media. I really think eventually a deal is going to get done. Joe Douglas has been a man of his words, uh, which has been said by every single free agent that has come through the door of one jet's drive since he has been there. Mm-hmm. So I have, re- I have every reason to believe that Jamal Adams will get signed. Now, Jamal Adams may be an unhappy New York jet, and you know what? Then he could file his retirement papers with the NFL, like I said, and he could go about his free agent. Free- he, can- he could sit out the mandatory year that he has to, and then he could go and re- apply for reinstatement, like every like everyone else, and then put put his services up to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, as far as I'm concerned, Jamal Adams is still on the contract for the New York Jets, and that's the way it's going to be. And Joe Douglas is going to look to get a deal done. And I really just think the rest of this is nonsense. And I and really, the only person that there is to blame for this whole mess is Jamal Adams mm-hmm. because he can't keep his mouth shut and because he's getting bad advice from his agent or from his representation who who are, are, are chirping in his ear, telling him, oh, oh, well, the Jets ain't doing this and the Jets ain't doing that and whatever. So, I mean, it, it, to me, as far as I'm concerned, I'm looking at it from a fan's point of view, which is, look, I, I want you to be here. I want you to play for this team. And because, because of your contract, you're, you're still going to be here. And if you're going to be that much of a pain in the neck, then, you know, <laughs> Joe Douglas is just going to inactivate you or sit you and, and create maybe another Carson Palmer 2.0, although he's not a quarterback.
3: <laughs> CJ, we're going to have to get off the phone because we're going to be, uh, we have our next guest that's going to be joining us in just one moment. But uh, thank you for calling. You're absolutely right, Jamal Adams. i I. I I beg to differ with what you say. I want to get rid of him. I don't think he wants to be here. And if I don't, if he doesn't want to be here, I don't want him here. I want the right players around Sam Darnold so we can move forward as an organization. I just don't think Jamal Adams is the right guy. I just don't.
2: Yeah, well, I think you and I are going to agree to disagree. But you know of what? As soon as we get Weapons Hot on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, you need to pop on, and we will have a big-time conversation about this.
3: Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us, CJ.
2: You bet. Have a good night, guys. You too.
3: CJ Desimone, who's going to be joining – his show is going to be joining our network very, very soon. Uh, Weapons Hot, uh, so – It's going to be really, really fun. When we come back, we will get more into this. Carl, you're absolutely right. The Edmonton Oilers and the Raiders are very dysfunctional organizations. We'll get more into this after we talk to Kansas State football defensive line recruit, Braden Wood, here on Down to the Wire.
0: It it, is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Network.
1: Network. You're, you're, You're listening to Down to
0: the Wire. On the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
3: Oh. Get yeah. Come on. 631-260-1601. This is Down to the Wire. We are live. Every single Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. As you guys know. As you know. You can also reach us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. I want to, again, give a shout-out to Jose Moda joining us as our first guest. Our second guest, looking forward to interviewing this kid. Uh, I read a little bit about him. We are now talking to Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit, Braden Wood. What's going on, Braden? How we doing? We are good, my friend. How are you and your family doing with this pandemic?
5: Um, you know, we've been doing well, um, you know, kind of, it was a little rough in the beginning, you know, we had, uh, two of my family members actually got the virus, so we we're a little scared at first, but, you know, they got through it and, you know, we we're getting through it too. So, uh, we're doing well. We're in Aspen right now, uh, kind of a little break from all the craziness that's been happening. So it's been nice.
3: Skiing? Are you skiing right now?
5: Oh, <laughs> uh, no. No. <laughs> We're we're just up here, kind of as a nice little family getaway.
3: Oh, there you go. Uh, that's awesome. I, I love Aspen, Colorado. It's it's beautiful over there, especially in the wintertime. It's absolutely beautiful. It's it's the best. <laughs> as you guys know, we are talking to uh, Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit Braden Wood. So, Braden, why don't you tell us a little bit about Kansas State football? Why you decided to uh, decided to declare uh, in going to Kansas State?
5: Um, for me, it was really kind of a kind of family based commit. You know, their coaching staff up there second to none. Um, you know, Coach Climan uh, first offered me. Uh, I think it was a winter morning. Uh, they were around nine a.m. It was during one of my off periods in, at school. And, you know, uh, first fifteen years of ball uh, offered me, and then the rest we just talking about kind of small world stuff, um, just kind of kind of life, and after I, I kind of knew knew something was kind of special there because not a lot of not a lot of colleges head coaches at least have spent an hour or hour and a half of their day you know talking to you or kind of you know talking about life other than ball um so i kind of really started off the, the relationship uh k-state um and you know colin klein um, he's kind of my main recruiter since he kind of recruits the area of colorado uh, we've kind of the relationship the relationships side has been there since my freshman year um their recruiting process is a little different than others they're kind of really really strict on kind of who they look at and who they offer um they offer uh, i'm pretty sure if not you know probably they hold the least amount of offers at least given out in the in the big 12 so when they offer you you know it's it's a solid offer and, you know, it's a, it's, it's there, you know, it's not going to go away. Um, And especially the really thing that kind of stood out, especially with the pandemic, like we were just talking about, um, they were on me constantly, you know, and it wasn't just one coach, you know, I, had, you know, the, the defensive coordinator, you know, the safeties coach, you know, D-line coach, the, the D tackle and DN's ends coach, you know, of course, Colin Klein's been talking to me, the recruiting coordinators, and you know, I've always, you know, talked once a week with uh, Coach Klein, the head coach. So just the relationship, you know, that's just built up with them is just in a non, and it hasn't, you know, touched what any other school's done, um, and that was kind of one of the major factory. Uh, my commitment there, um, was just I felt comfortable, you know, I connected with so many of them on a whole nother level, you know, it was just kind of one of those guts, you know, and Manhattan, Kansas is, you know, it's a special place, you know, top five college town, uh, great area to be at, you know, at our, um, their second, I think most alumni, you know, basis is Denver. So I've had a lot of, you know, my dad, my dad's friends, you know, my friend's dad, you know, just, saying so many good things about manhattan kansas how they loved and enjoyed you know their college experience at kansas state um and then another kind of funny thing is my youth quarterback jake rubley uh we played football since or since the fifth grade we knew each other way before um he was one of the first commits to kansas state he was a really high highly recruit had a bunch of sec acc you know big club offers and you know he kind of pointed it out kind of straight to me he was like you know, you're not going to find a better place in Manhattan, Kansas. You know, um, you, a lot of other schools may have you know better facilities, better uniforms, and it comes down to that. That's not where you're going to school for. Um, you know, their business program is really good, and I'm kind of, I'm going to try to major in business communications. You know, their business program is really ranked up there. So,
0: just Manhattan,
5: Kansas. You know, is a special place, and just can't wake up or can't wait to get back up there.
4: You are recruited by Kansas State, who's kind of that counterculture of the Big 12. Big 12, always known for the flashy offensive teams for the most part, but Kansas State's always been more known for defense, and especially special teams when Bill Snyder was there. It seemed like they led the nation in block kicks every year. What, did that factor into your decision as a defensive lineman? And also, how do you think playing against the levels of those offenses, especially with Oklahoma and Texas and schools like that, could help grow your game as a defensive lineman?
5: You know, I've always been the type of kid, you know, go against the best competition. You know, I never shy away from, you know, going against the biggest kid or the best kid. You know, every week when I play my high school, I kind of watch the tape to see who their best lineman is. Um, so I go against them, make sure I stay on them, uh, you know, better myself and, you know, better my team because when I'm beating down, you know, a Division one kid or, you know, a kid's best lineman, you know, our defensive line you know, have a, a great day, you know, turn about the weaker guys um but you know big 12 you know one of the best conferences the first if not you know second um you know of course powerhouses like you know texas and oklahoma um and again you know i'm never i'm never gonna shy away from competition you know that's another huge reason why i select the kansas state um is because you know they're in the best conference they're they're in a day day in and day out they're going against the best teams every week um and I'm excited for that, You know, they're D linemen, or four, they're a four-three team. And you know, they're they're ball wall the going crazy every play. You know, they're attacking the ball. They're rushing every play. You know, they're not one the team that scheme. You're just slant this way and get double teamed by these two guys, so the linebackers can come and plays. You know, they're a team that you know treat, treat their D linemen right. You know, they're going get them in position. You know, make tackles, make tackles for losses, make sacks. You know, they be, be big contributors to the team, um, you know, like you said, their defense has been, you know, their stronghold for you know, the last couple of years, um, especially when they knocked off one of the best, you know, passing offices, you know, just the offices in, in general as Oklahoma, In you know, how they were, were kind of building something special, you know, being that staff's first year uh, with Coach Kleiman and all of them. So I really think they're putting uh, together something special, you know. To kind of have that blue collar mentality of we're gonna, you know, hit you harder than you've ever been hit before. You know, they may hit you back, but we're gonna get back up and keep doing every single play.
3: <laughs> we are talking to Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit Braden Wood. Now, Braden, you were a top recruit, and and you look at your your game, and and really your style of game, and and, and that's getting to the quarterback. Could you tell the fans a little bit about your style of game and what makes you tick as a defensive lineman?
5: Um, for me, it was actually kind of a funny story. I was a running back and linebacker growing growing up playing youth ball. Um, what kind of really kind of switched me uh, to a defensive lineman was around seventh or eighth grade for me. Um, I was trying to get that growth spurt, kind of put on the weight. Um so- to the fullback he's you know I was probably maybe like 6'1 200 pounds as an eighth grader so I was kind of getting moved around all over the place trying to find you know that certain spot for me and then one of my mentors you know one of my you know biggest people I look up to Jason White you know um like my, my second dad he moved me down to the defensive line and that's when I really kind of started you know fall in love with that like And it was was crazy the year I had, and that was the year that I kind of fell in love with football, and I knew that was going to be my sport going on to uh, high school. Uh, For me, uh, and then when I went to high school, you know, I was kind of back at my D-line, playing both, you know, going into the – in the spring with the JV, and then I got moved up to the varsity, and then I got put on the D-line. Um, it was around like week four or something like that uh i finally got a starting position in nose guard, and i was only like maybe like a six-two, two-twenty guy um going against kids that like double my size and you know i always kind of treat my game uh kind of i'm the type of kid that my motor's out the roof you know i think about my high school is we don't we're in the top division in colorado which is 5 day football um and we have about maybe fifty-five, sixty 60 kids on the team who have over 120-plus kids on their roster. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a lot of depth. And, you know, that's how we train in the offseason always. Uh, as There's no, no there's no back, you know. Uh, my sophomore and junior year, I didn't leave the field uh, for singles on defense. And majority of the snaps on offense. I was a two-way player um, my, both my sophomore and junior year. Um, a big thing about my play is I, I wanna out hustle and out work the guy in front of me. Um uh, there's there's no way that I kinda have to switch my mind when I turn it on before, you know, game time is like whoever's in front of me they, they're not gonna beat me a single time this game. Um I have that mentality, you know, weekend with uh weekend and you know, it's kind of been it's it's like it's it's a lifestyle, um, if I'm honest with you. Um that's kinda <laughs> how I've been raised, you know. Uh it's just win the day. Uh but with me, uh, another big thing about my game is I think I'm very, uh, I would say, technical and uh, football smart, if that makes any sense. Like, um, mm-hmm. I'll watch about maybe six to seven hours of film each week uh, on the other teams we're playing. And I'm you know, going Google, Google sheets or Google, you know, slides on what, what the majority of the plays they run, uh, what formation, uh, what percentages run, pass, you know, play action, option. Um, like, what? Two routes are what their go-to runs are. Um, what's the percentage of them, you know, passing the ball or running the ball on certain downs? Um, which I come, which helps my game a ton. You know, like I said, we're not a heavily, you know, in-depth team. Like, you know, we have our ones and twos, but if we if we if someone goes down, there's kind of no one to no one to fall back on. So um, we have to be, you know, that type of team, uh, and which why we've had so much there's so so much success in the past years. You know, we've made you know elite eight final kind of four runs in the past three years just because of that.
4: Talk about the differences, technique wise, and also coaching emphasis points wise that your coaches have told you between playing an inside offensive lineman position and being on the edge as an outside offensive uh, defensive lineman.
5: Um, so for me, a lot of the time, you know, when we're going against a a running team, they'll put me into three technique. Um, because at least in the past years, we have had some pretty good linebackers. So they'll put me at the three to make sure they're not running the ball on us. Because especially if you look at my highlights, there's a lot of plays on third and one. Even in fourth or like the offensive line, I can tell I'll go ahead and switch to that guy that looks gassed or looks like he wants to be on the field no more. I'll switch to that guy. I'll drive him off the line about two or three yards and make a tackle for loss or either a turnover or a huge fourth down stop. Um, and a lot for me, uh, those long kind of third down or even second down situations, I'll move to the edge um, and kind of use my strength because I I'll just use this bull rush and bully the guy in front of me to kind of get away and make the sack. So which this year I kind of experienced a lot more. I think last year I had more sacks. I don't know, but this year they had to slide the guard and tackle, and they had to make sure the the running back was tipping me before he got out of the bout or the running back was just staying in and blocking me. Mix it around to get them out because uh, we run a four package when we uh, kind of err in those like third and long or second and long situations. Uh, so I'll be you know I'll kind of cruising around. I'll kind of be a stand up, I kind of outside linebacker, hook to the nose guard to make sure those three guards are on me. So we'll send blitzes and we'll get the linebacker kind of wide open. Um, but the passwords first, uh, which I kind of set myself on. You know I think I played. Uh, four, I think four to you know, the uh, Division One linemen that you have, you know, multiple offers are already committed to, you know, big time d One school. Um, obviously, going there, kind of my go-to thing is you kind of have to set up a move because you know they're that highly skilled. You know, they've been recognized. You know, getting offers or committed to a college. You know, I can't just bull rush. Excuse <laughs> my strength, So I kind of have to, you know, kind of finesse and kind of sugar step and get around them, which I think. Uh, kind of a huge emphasis this year um so there's not going to be a lot uh, i guess a lot of you know good tackles or you know kind of d1 guys uh in i guess our conference or in our schedule this year um so if i can get that you know stuff down and you know going on to the next level i think that's gonna put me put me a step ahead of everybody at least that i'm going into or kind of give me the position to kind of run for that starting spot my freshman year. We are
3: talking to Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit Braden Wood. Now, Braden, when did you know that you were going to be able to play Division One football? When did you know you had that kind of talent where you can compete with some of the best players in the
2: country?
5: Um, it started out, you know, uh, my third year. Um, I played in kind of an All-American game. USA, um, and then after that year, I was going into high school, and I was still playing football, baseball, and basketball. I was a three-sport athlete going in, um, and then that summer, kind of had a huge decision. Rather, I'll kind of, you know, get to stick with baseball, stick with basketball, or stick with football, um, because baseball has a huge season in the summer. Or am I going to play summer basketball, or am I just going to stick with the summer workouts and summer practices with football? Um, and that I kinda just kinda sat down with my parents and I kinda just talked about it. He's like what sport do you think I'll have the most success at? Um, and we decided football. Um <laughs> and I'm very glad we did that so because um so I I dropped the uh, baseball and basketball my uh, going into my freshman year and then uh stuck with football. So this went into our kind of spring ball, which is our like right as we get out of school. Uh, we're starting out right back to, uh, uh like our spring ball scrimmages. Um, uh, and then, so, like I said, I started, our went to JV, uh, away and moved me up uh, to varsity. And then, like I said earlier, like week four, we're playing against Columbine, which is just known for having huge linemen. Um, and I was kind of a, not the, not the built kid I was right now, but I was a little kind of, a little scrawny, kind of scrappy kid. Um, and I was going against a uh, D1 guard that had 20 plus offers, and then I was going against a uh, like a six 300 pound guy that was committed to Hawaii. <laughs> um, and that's when I kind of knew that game kind of clicked for me. It was like, well, if I can just do this and make a double team and not get pushed back by two guys that triple my weight, then I'll kind of be in a in a good position um we ended up losing the game by a touchdown um but probably one of the most memorable games of my life because i kind of knew like this was going to be my sport uh, going forward because you know I, everybody has their doubts about you know what sport is going to be their sport you know um but that game kind of kind of turned it on for me uh definitely knew that something special was there um so I, I continued to play throughout the whole year. I was a starting nose tackle, three technique, and just depending on, you know, who's hurt, who's not. Um, and then at the end of the year, I ended up taking up three offers from Power 5 schools, which kind of set off my recruiting process from there going into my uh, sophomore year. Um and I kind of knew, like, once I – my first off was Texas Tech. And once I kind of got it from there, it kind of got the ball rolling. And, like, I was kind of thinking to myself, and I was sitting down with my trainer, like, this could be a future for me. This could be something that can take me to somewhere very special and provide many, many doors that could be opened up for me. So I really kind of focused on that offseason, going into my fresh year, my sophomore year. You know, I was six days a week working out twice – once or twice a day. You know, Speed work, strength work, you know, getting on a diet, you know, forming forming myself into, you know, that that guy that can, you know, be be that type of guy. You know, I was ranked number one in the Colorado freshman, junior, or freshman and sophomore year. You know, I had a lot of heat on me. Got, a, got that kind of factor in my sophomore year. It kind of really jumped off of me. And then from my sophomore year on, gained 15-plus offers. <laughs> um, and that's when I kind of knew, like, this is going to be – you know this sport for me you know um and just the the memories and kind of the brother that i've created with football um i think it's gonna be a life lifelong you know lesson and journey for me that i'll never trade for anything in the world
4: when you were growing up playing football were there any other positions you played outside of defensive linemen and if so which one was your favorite one to play outside of defensive linemen
5: Oh, 100% running backs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it was uh, – I remember playing my little league team. Um, and then I was <laughs> – it was just always funny because we played this team a couple of times, and every time I ran the ball, I was like truck two or three kids over. I remember I, <laughs> kipped, I popped a guy's tooth out to uh, the kid, or kid or and there were parents <laughs> on the sideline yelling at like, get this kid out like this kid is not like this kid's not in second grade like he can't be doing this and um it, it's so funny because I remember like vivid stories um like it, this is a true story I, I can't make this up but I'm in like the third or fourth grade and you know how like little league has weigh-ins so, you know a patch or a little patch and you know I was I've always been a big kid you know I was always maybe like three to four inches taller than everybody <laughs> So, you know, everybody thought, you know, oh, he's just old or oh he's he, he got held back. So um I weighed in, you know, at our usual weigh ins and you know, like two days before, like I would just try to like speed down as much weight as possible. Like my favorite like snacks were like ice ice cubes and like watermelon. and you know, I would just eat that all day and my parents were like, What are you doing? Like <laughs> you have dinner right here, so, like I was like, Mom, I gotta I gotta make weigh ins. And so uh, we got weighed in. I was like two pounds under, so it was just huge. Not a pass. Didn't have to play line. So excited. And so, like two weeks go by, and we were about to like go against like our finals. And I, I can't make this up. Two pull, I get pulled out of class by um, like just like a like a student aide or something like that. Walked down to the office. I get put in kind of this like meeting room, and I got two like cops. Like walk into the kind of little room, and I'm like eight or nine years old, and I'm scared as can be. Like I like I'm shaking, I'm getting all red. Like I, this is like one of my most memorable memories. <laughs> the cops walk in, and they're like, "Are your parents starving you?" And I, take my backpack, <laughs> I take out my lunch, and I had a McDonald's. I think it was like a McDonald's burger and lunch. And I, I like I like, lift up my shirt, and I was like does it look like I'm getting starved? <laughs> <laughs> and they, like, you're fine. And they walk out and it's like two minutes. And then the like three weeks go by and we're in like our championship. Like <laughs> the, the, the same, it was a girl cop and a guy cop. Girl cop walks in and he's like, I was like, am I in trouble again? Like, what did I do? And I'm like, I was lifted up my shirt again, and then I was like, "Does really look like I'm starved. And she was like, okay, I believe you. And then never, you know, never been bothered with again.
3: Well, I'll tell you this. You don't look like you're getting starved. That's for sure. Oh, no,
5: not anymore.
3: You're a big dude. I mean, every single video and every single picture I saw, you're you a pretty big good dude. We are talking to yeah. Kansas State football defensive lineman recruit, Braden Wood. Um, you know, I... I have a, I'm a big um, NFL fan, and uh, I've seen a lot of NFL linemen, and you know defensive linemen that have been drafted in the last couple of years, and and a lot of them like Garrett, like Miles Garrett, who everybody was talking about. He was a big recruit. Uh, it took him a little while to f- develop his skills in college. That but when he did, he dominated uh, college uh, college football. When you look at your style of game, do you see your style moving up to the NFL?
5: A hundred percent, because my main thing is if you look like a guy uh, like Aaron Donald, and he was like a very under-recruited guy, didn't grow much in college, um, but uh, he kind of turned it on for himself, like, you know. He he's if not arguably the best defensive lineman in the NFL right now. Being only six foot two hundred, or like, he's like two ninety five, two eighty five, and has the six pack. Like it, it just really comes down to you know how much you kind of put you want to put in, uh, and how much you kind of want to get to the new goal.
4: Brayden, in terms of influences when you were a kid. Uh, growing up, uh, not the current NFL right now, but when you were growing up. Is there any players that you watch, whether it was a defensive lineman or a running back, like you were saying earlier? Are there any other... Pl- who was your influence growing up and maybe even model your game around?
0: Um,
5: that's tough, you know. Um, I would say I have two kind of groups of people, um, especially my my family, my uncles, my grandfather. Um, you know, <clears throat> football players you know my father uh Arizona State my other, Illinois State and my grandfather played at Colorado State so they kind of set the tone kind of at an early age and especially right now I'm the only grandson uh from my grandfather that is you know good to be a football player you know none of uh, the other I think, six or five grandkids doesn't play football um, <laughs> and they're at the age where they can but you know they're like Studs, cross players, wrestlers, um, but you know I'm I'm kind of carrying the legacy at least for my family. So I kind of knew, um, kind of growing up that this is kind of kind of my thing that I could do. Uh, and then another one uh, I know you said no NFL players, but JJ Watt, is uh, a huge guy.
3: Who was it, Brady? I'm sorry you went in and out. What was the guy?
5: Uh, JJ Watt. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, my main thing is it's what he does, you know, off the field and on the field. Um, he's kind of the best of both worlds, you know. He was a walk. I'm pretty sure he was a walk-on at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you know, he was Pete the boy to pay to pay for his college, and so um, he was also a tight. Getting,
3: he was also a tight end when yeah, he came into college. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, got trans Yeah, kind of had the same transition as me. Mm-hmm. Wanted to play another position, got moved. At, um, may not have liked it, but ended up, you know, turning out really well for him. Um, and then, you know, being booed for being a first round pick after, you know, dominating his senior year. Uh, especially kinda like in the snap of a how, you know, he shocked the world with his rookie year and being, you know, defensive player of the year, all pro certain amount of times, pro ball, everything. It just it just shows you that, you know, anything could be, you know anything could snap. You Not know, be doubted. Like hey on. Uh, you know, you'd be you no, know, not even that, but it just shows you how you know how anything can happen i I agree with you
3: and 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 I'll tell you this, Braden. I am going to follow your college career. I want you to call the show, I want to get you on the show. More than numerous amount of times, I want to. I want to know your input of the Big Twelve and your growth as a college football player. And then when you do get drafted, hopefully by my New York Jets, because uh, we needed. I'll tell you this right now: we need. We've needed a pass rusher for years, and we haven't had one since John Abraham. And uh, now, you know, getting to know you as a person, your personality. Um, I would love for you to get drafted by the New York Jets, and and I. I I will be following your college career moving forward and being and I will be a big fan of yours. Love I love your intake and not only uh, your personal, you know, background of your high school career and and some of the stories that you've told us, really your confidence. And there is no ego to you. You, You're just a very confident young man who uh, is looking forward to the college season. So I'm looking forward to getting the opportunity to watch you play and develop as a college football player.
5: No, I'm I'm really excited. You know, that will be a dream come true. and I really appreciate all the cameras.
3: Absolutely. So, Brayden, why don't you tell the fans how they can follow you on social media?
5: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bray, B-R-A-Y underscore Wood. Follow me on Instagram, Bray.wood. Um, that's about all the two socials I have. <laughs>
3: and tell your family, tell your parents to keep feeding you because whatever they're feeding you, um, you've turned out to be not only a, a dominant defensive lineman, one of the top recruits in the nation.
5: No, love it. Thank you very much.
3: Absolutely. Braden, thank you for joining us.
5: Anytime. I'm really glad, really glad to be here.
3: Absolutely. Braden Wood, ladies and gentlemen, Kansas State football defensive line recruit. Great interview. Yeah, he was awesome.
4: That was, that was a great story he was telling about his about the the starvation thing.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the kid has uh, has a great personality. Uh, you could tell that his parents really um, structured his 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 life and his career as a football player. The Academics is a very important aspect of who he is as a person, and, and he wants to be a, a, a big-time business mm-hmm. uh, business major. And, and you saw, you, you heard what he said. He went to Kansas State because of their business program. Right. It wasn't just their football team and the coaching. It was their academics. So you hear that from an athlete. A lot of athletes don't say that, even though they try to hide behind it, that they only went to those schools because they want to be an NFL right. Uh, player, He pretty much told you that he wants to get his business degree. He went to Kansas State because of business. Right. So I uh, uh, am one of the top business schools in the country. So, yeah, you usually only hear coaches say
4: stuff like that with how, how much academic prowess their school has in terms of uh, in terms of the. Everybody else, but you, hearing it from an athlete is definitely different, and uh, with uh, especially with uh, one that's just coming in
3: this year, probably, probably top 17, recruits. 17, one of the, 18 years old. One yeah. of the top mm-hmm. five defensive linemen recruits. Shout out to Jillian and Ricky for getting him on online. And I'll tell you this right now uh, this kid, if what I've read about him, he was one of the top three star defensive line targets in the country. So that's saying a lot for the talent of mm-hmm. the player that he is and uh he does believe he's going to be an NFL player and 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 I hope uh that when he does become an NFL player he you know the jets choose him to be their defensive lineman because mm-hmm. everything that I've read about the kid he's got some strong motor uh incredible hands and he can get to the quarterback so and that's something you need a, for from a defensive lineman, and something the Jets have been needing for like since the last twenty years. I
4: mean. <laughs> and at, at least at the high school level, he did play both inside and outside too, yeah. which which always helps, especially with the NFL becoming more versatile as it is mm-hmm. with the way defensive linemen have to be, and really a lot of players have to be, even offensive skill players. Uh, before
3: we go, uh, we were talking about uh, dysfunctional franchises, mm-hmm. and we do want to finish up uh, the dysfunction of of some of these franchises. We will get into the other topics tomorrow. I mean, I'm not tomorrow a uh, Thursday. For mm-hmm. below the mic yep. uh, We have a big show Lined up for you guys We have a couple of Great guests That will be joining us On Thursday as well um, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Jose Moda mm-hmm. uh, The voice of The Los Angeles Angels Giving us some good insight Not only uh, about baseball About Angels baseball And, and, and as the season Uh, is now looking like it's coming back, 16-game season. Uh, The players did agree to it, and ownership has agreed to it. It could be back as as good as uh, the middle of July. So uh, I'm very excited about that. That's something that I wasn't expecting. Um, And and, and then also the great uh, young defensive lineman from Kansas State, Uh, Braden Wood, who gave us some good insight of his his high school career and really his insight of where he sees himself in the future, not only as a college football player, but as an NFL football player. So, gave us some good insight. But dysfunctional uh, franchises. we, We did read some things that Carl said uh, he said the Oakland Raiders, the yeah. Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I agree. I think the Edmonton Oilers have not been a good franchise since the the eighties, really. early eighties, uh, late seventies. I mean this this is a franchise that practically gave away Mark Messier, gave away Wayne Gretzky, threw away Grant Fuhr. Uh, an organization that completely. Uh, was a debacle, and, and really in the early 2000s, this is an organization that practically drafted top draft picks and pretty much sold them all away, and and you can see what this franchise has done, they have a, a great player in Connor McDavid, now they have to build around him, and hopefully they don't trade him away, uh, which that organization has been doing for years and years and years, throwing away players top talented players makes absolutely no sense, the way the franchise has co- really gone forward, so. Kind of like
4: what you were saying too with the Orlando Magic, they had that one yeah. fluky finals run in the, uh, the lockout short and in
3: 05-06 when they lost to the Hurricanes, but that's really been it. Uh, They've been a a really bad franchise. Also, the Oakland Raiders, uh, (laughs) a franchise that has been absolutely horrendous since really the 70s and the the early 80s. Another organization that uh, was one of the top organizations in the mid-70s. You're talking about them, the Bears, Uh, the Steelers, the 49ers. Uh, This is an organization that has not done very, very well as far as drafting, and really... I've been all over the place. They've had good teams over the years, bad coaching, bad ownership, in Al Davis, and and, and now his son's running the team. I just uh, the Davis family has not been a very well run and very dysfunctional organization because of the Davis family. So
4: yeah, you're seeing a lot of those teams that really try. They're trying to duplicate that same identity they had at the, in the '70s and the '80s. You look at the teams like the Dolphins, the teams like the Redskins, another bad organization. Right, the those Dolphins, two teams yeah. especially. I think really a lot of those teams just trying. They're trying to do what worked for them in their glory days when they don't realize the game has changed and they constantly make the same mistakes a lot of the time the Raiders especially with how many players they take chances on with off field issues mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just seems like they never learn with they, were, it wasn't as got come down on with when Pete Roselle was commissioner. Now Roger Goodell's come on him and all of a sudden these players have issues and they're always suspended and they turn out to be bad. Speaking of, the of time, another so. organization, the
3: Bengals <laughs> being another organization that has been a bad organization. They have won. They've had winning seasons, uh, over the years, but a team that has never really won in the playoffs with Andy Dalton. And really, uh, this is an organization that hasn't won for many, many years. And, Uh, They've been a dysfunctional organization for the NFL, but an organization that's drafted very, very well, and they have brought some good players to the NFL, and they have developed as superstars in the NFL. Another organization that I've, I've talked about over the years is the Baltimore Orioles. Okay. Uh, a, a really bad organization, really poorly run. This is an organization that has not been good since really the early 90s and and really the 80s. This is an organization that hasn't won. I don't remember the last time they won. 83 even, was their last. Yeah, series, 83. Yeah. I mean, this is an organization that hasn't won in over 30 some odd years. So it seems like uh, they never developed pitching. <laughs> you no. Know, so uh, another organization that needs to rebuild and figure out things um, a terrible organization. So while,
4: while we're on football ones for a while, the Detroit Lions, I think, have to be in there, too. Yeah. This is a team that won, has won one playoff game in the entire Super Bowl era. Mm-hmm. So I, The fact that, that they have to be on that list. I have them right below the Browns, I would say, probably as the second most, but they've also had trouble with players having off-field issues, a lot of bad draft picks, a lot of bad coaching, and as a result, they, they waste a lot of their stars that they do get. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, guys like that.
3: Another team that I would definitely look at in hockey is the Montreal Canadiens. This is an organization that have been a top organization, especially in the 50s and the 60s, uh, with... Uh, um, all the, the great
4: goalies they had, really. The
3: great goaltending, the great offense, uh, Rich uh, Richard, R- Richard yeah. uh, who was one of the best offensive players of all time. and And it really... Uh, when you talk about Carey Price, as great as Carey Price has been over the years, uh, this is a, a dysfunctional organization that has not won, hasn't developed young players, and 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 the last time they won, I don't remember the last time they won. Ninety-three, I think it yeah. was when they played the Wayne Gretzky L.A. Kings. Yeah, so they are an organization like that. that has not been a good organization, poorly run. And and you talk about the Montreal Canadiens, one of the greatest hockey organizations of all time, and. And this is a team that you could say how many championships and how many Stanley Cups they have won. They have not won. They've won one Stanley Cup in the last twenty some years. Right.
4: A lot of those, again, also the original six era too. So that inflates it. They've been well run for the seventies and eighties, and then up to the nineties. But since then, you're right. They're kind of like what I was saying with the Raiders. They they're kind of stuck in trying to develop those players like their glory days and. I mean, they've evolved to an extent with no, certain they players. No, but... they haven't. They're but, a
3: terrible organization. But yeah, I understand my what you One of my good friends, Chris Higgins, played for the organization. Kat Masarek played for the organization. They're a poorly run organization that doesn't know how to develop right. players. They've had stars, but you're right. They don't know how to develop players consistently, and that's a problem. Another organization in, co- in hockey that have been a dysfunctional organization was the, is the Toronto Maple Leafs, an organization that hasn't won forever. And you talk about players. They have some of the most talented players on this team right now and John Tavares. They, they practically plied him away from the New York Islanders and stole him away. And then you have uh, Austin Matthews, and you have all these great players on the team, and they still can't find a way to win. This is an organization that's poorly run. Uh, They have great coaching. They have a great GM. They decided to get rid of uh, um, Lou Lamorello. Lamorello. He goes to the Islanders, and he gets the Islanders into the playoffs the first year that he took over the team. Uh, This is just an organization that they've been a laughing stock, not only in the NHL but in professional hockey. And the fact that guys like John Tavares decided to go to the organization and leave an organization that was a rebuilding organization – that really has been more successful than the Maple Leafs have. And that's <laughs> saying a lot. When the Islanders organization have not been a good organization and poorly run, they're another organization that has not been a good organization in New York. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the new ownership and Malkin and what they're doing and, and bringing in Barry Trotz, right. they've completely transitioned that organization. They're no longer a stock in the NHL to the Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. And no matter how good and how talented they are, they are a team. There are teams that are never going to win. Because they're poorly run up from right. the top, and
4: it seems like too kind of like we were saying with the Knicks earlier. Like you think free agents are going to go there all the time, and they it, because it's Toronto, a lot of guys grew up there, and they never seem to get it because of that dysfunction too. And as a result, they have certain star players that again never get help because of that. Look at what Phil Kessel had to deal with, Matt Sundin in the nineties, what he had to deal with again, and they never could find goaltending
3: either. It is crazy, and there are a lot of other teams, and and we can go through so many teams from so many sports. How about Cincinnati? How about the Cincinnati Reds? Mm -hmm. How bad have they been since really the early mid-90s? I mean, they have not been a good organization. Right. Poorly run. They haven't won in almost thirty years. And and you talk about the talent, the big red machine. And you, you talk about what they have done over the years with the talent that they had, with the Pete Rose's of the world, and, and and some of the players that we have seen, the great players that we've seen come in and out of that organization in the early seventies, eighties, and and early nineties, and and Paul O'Neill being one of them. He went to the Yankees and won a couple of titles right. with the Yankees. So. Uh, this is an organization that has not won a very badly, poorly run organization year in and year out. And finally, hopefully, they got something going
4: for yeah. the organization. I don't
3: think. Yeah, I think the last
4: time they won the World Series was in 1990, and I also think that was their last playoff win too.
0: Yes. It, playoff it's crazy. Yeah. It's
3: crazy. They've been a really bad, or poorly run organization. It's almost 30 years since they've won. So, um, but there, there's so many. There's so many trending. Uh, we can argue points in so many different teams, but uh, those were. Probably ten to twelve teams yeah. that I could put them on my list are ter- terrible, and and most of them I will tell you are from New York. So, I to say that three or even four of the top uh, New York so, top yeah, twenty yeah. from New York, it's saying a lot about New York sports. So, uh, it's all uh, bad. Bad, bad. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about New York sports. Anyways, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'd like to thank Jose Moda, uh, the voice of the Angels, for joining us early in the show. I'd like to thank Kansas State football defensive lineman, recruit Braden Wood. Thank you for your intake of, of your high school career and where you see yourself in the future, not only in college football but the NFL. And uh, CJ for joining us, all the different people that have called our show Uh, Thank you for calling the show. Stay tuned for Thursday and some of our new shows that are going to be coming to our, our network. And by the way, shout out to the Big Guy Sports Show. And Ryan will be back on Thursday. I know everybody keeps asking me, where is Ryan? Ryan was off on Thursday. He was off on Monday. He will be back on Thursday with the Morning Boys. So I know everybody's been asking me about Ryan. Ryan will be back. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that's it for our show. We'll be back on Thursday for below the mic. Until then, this is Arrow Marks and Speedy Dampeedy saying good night. We'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.
0: It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.